Health to thee, good apple tree, well to bear, pockets full, hats full, peckfuls, bushel bagfuls. Here's to thee, old apple tree, whence thou mayest bud, and whence thou mayest blow, and whence thou mayest bear apples and owe. Hats full, caps full, bushel, bushel, sacks full, and my pockets full too, huzzah. Stand fast root, bear well top, pray God send us a good howling crop. Every twig, apples big, every bough, apples are now. Wassail the trees that they may bear, you many a plum and many a pear. For more or less fruits they will bring, as you do give them wassailing. <laughs> I'm Steve. And I'm Toast. And I'm Cider. And this is Fools with Tools, a podcast for the wassailing Wainwright. Gentlemen, how are we all? How is everyone? What have you all been up to? Pick one. (laughs) Al, you go. (laughs) This week, I've been mostly drinking (laughs) cider. (laughs) And I've been up to my... Back teeth <laughs> in hangovers. <laughs> Thanks largely to village fucking fermented apples. I'm yeah! Sorry, I can't get away from the shit. There's 15 litres of it behind me. <laughs> bub- bubbling away while I'm trying to record a fucking podcast. Is that the stuff that looks like melted butter? It looks like melted something. It's gorgeous. <laughs> so, do you want to explain to everyone that's not me and Brett what the so, fuck you're talking about? Um, I had the distinct, uh, I want to say pleasure, um, experience <laughs> of <laughs> um, a traditional Somerset of wassail at the weekend. Um, and for those of you who is everyone who doesn't know what a wassail <laughs> is, um, it's a lot of old white people in the field <laughs> um, getting very drunk, uh, not singing, but just kind of reciting, reciting songs. Um, and then shooting trees because <laughs> if you shoot the tree, um, it makes it more apples. <laughs> and, and if you and if you uh, make noise as well at the same time and moisten the toast, um, it, it's the most apples in the tree. So we, we did that. Yeah. Hold on, where did, where did the toast come in? That so just... the, toast, the toast is the traditional um, uh, sort of antithesis of, of the devil. The, he, he hates toast. Um, and, <laughs> but but specific, specifically, he, he likes dry toast, so you have to soak the toast in cider um, and, then hang, and then get children to hang it in the tree before the farmer shoots it with a shotgun. Um, oh, my God. And... and yeah, and, and and during this, um, it's all the more effective if everyone in the village makes as much noise as possible, um, which is sometimes can be facilitated by uh, the local blacksmith and his monkey friend um, forging their own instruments to take down to the field. Yes. So we spent we spent Saturday uh, in the forge making uh, a two foot triangle. Yeah, something along those lines. Of like 16 mil bar, uh, a very loud triangle, which I think was a a, a low G. Uh, and then <laughs> uh, what can only be described as not a cowbell, um, <laughs> which is beautifully designed, but uh, um, sonically didn't, yeah, didn't, didn't quite perform. 
uh, and that was a, a sort of A minor. Mm. And then um, two saucepans back to back, which were which were a high C and a low C, which were beautifully yeah. uh, beautifully tuned, uh, crafted into one of those kind of spinny drum Mexican toys that have like the the, the ball attached on a bit of string. That now, you flip I first saw ball. one of those in Karate Kid. In Karate Kid, good, yes. good callback, good uh, Karate Kid Two, yeah. Um, but imagine that instead of uh, a delicately skinned uh, small drum, it's two massive uh, iron <laughs> saucepans, and instead of a little wooden bead, um, it's a wrought iron cube that's been <laughs> <laughs> drilled onto some rope uh, and, and attached uh, with perfect distance, equidistant between the two pans. In such a way that with a with a simple flick of the wrist, you can wake the entire village at two o'clock in the morning when you walk home. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was it was an eye opening experience. It was um, uh, uh, a wash with tradition, and uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. So I'm very grateful to have, have partaken in a uh, a traditional English wassail. Oh yes, God. that's so brilliant. It was uh... <laughs> so the the purpose of the wassail. Is I is, just explained it perfectly, Steve. As, as I'll perfectly put it, is to wake the trees after uh, winter to ensure a good harvest. And then, as like I said, you you do that by uh, making as much noise around the tree as possible to make sure it's awake. Uh, hanging cider soaked toast in the tree to to give it some nutrients or something. I don't fucking know. And uh, and then, just in case that doesn't work, then yeah, the the twelve ball gets fired in the midst of the branches and hopefully the tree's now awake. And, uh, and then afterwards we all go back to the village hall where some very, very old people recite some very interesting poetry. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, and then a bunch of people uh, dressed up in all kinds of costumes, including someone that I swear on my life was Phil from Dark Star Studios in drag. Um, I mean, uh, New York. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're in all tights, is what you're in. <laughs> Can I just point out as well that during this uh, awakening of centuries, there was two trees in this field, right? Two. <laughs> There's more and that it was just dark. There was two trees in this field, one of which had toast hanging in it and was on one side of the field and was being shot at by a farmer with a shotgun, and the other wasn't. And they, <laughs> <laughs> they still managed to go and dance around the wrong fucking tree. <laughs> what was that about? <laughs> it yeah. might have been the cider. It might have been the whiskey. Yeah. God, this is like a terrible Gary Larson <laughs> single-cell comic of just like <laughs> the two lions standing up above the pride. And just being like, I don't, I just don't know. I, I yeah. don't get it. It was, um, it was a very fun uh, weekend with a copious amount of, of cider. Um, yeah. Brett, what about you? What have you been up to? God, absolutely nothing that eventful. <laughs> um, I man, drove I, for four days. I really wish I would have had some video to look at from this entire thing. Um, so yeah, I drove, I left Kansas a week ago. Yeah. Cause we recorded the morning that I left. Um, so since the last episode, I drove for two days out to the desert 
and am now sat at the Maker Ranch. And now I'm looking for, you know, places to live that hopefully has a shop of some sort. I'm I'm banking on the fact that it will probably just be a garage, uh, which is awesome because I see plenty of people work out of garages and, you know, they basically do that here at the house anyway. So I know that it's feasible. Um, I think it's going to take a little bit of work to get a, you know, blacksmithing area set up. That's not going to piss the neighbors off. Uh, maybe I can hang some toast while I bang on anvils. I don't know how that would help. There's nothing that's going to grow out here. Apples, especially. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it hasn't been that eventful of a week. I got a video done, which will go up hopefully this weekend that, happens to revolve around a bit of retro gaming and animation things. So a lot of my week has been spent looking at either old videos to gain references from things or kind of being inspired by old video game animations and the graphics therein. So it's it's been a retro-ridden week. <laughs> we... um. When Carol was here a couple of weeks ago, we uh, uh, ordered some replacement N64 controllers because, as we all know, the the first thing to go on an N64 yeah. pad is the joystick in the middle. Oh, God. And when I was a kid, all my mates that had N64s, they all they all had kind of the snide knockoff controllers. Uh, they were yeah, not yeah. only, like, the wrong shape, they also had, like, ter- you know, like 50 yeah. extra buttons for no reason and... and they were just never the same, and it was always, no, oh, I don't want to play with that one. Um, but the, the knockoff ones you can get now are actually pretty spot-on replicas. Yeah. Um, so you, you can't get official Nintendo ones anymore, but you can get, there's a few companies that actually do really good, uh, you know, exactly the same mold. Yeah. Uh, same kit. There's a couple of different ways they do the, the joystick now um, that are actually probably better than the old one. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they're dirt cheap as well. So it was hooking up the N64 um, on a 4K screen and seeing the <laughs> glorious oh, 4, so 480 good. by 640, whatever it is. It's just heartwarming, like like everything nice. that, that kind of what, is, is nostalgic. And, and What games did you play, though? Um, a bit of Mario Kart, a bit of Turok, which I've played for a very fucking long time. So yeah. right? Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Um, uh Bit of uh, Mario, was it Mario, Mario sixty four, Mario World. Yeah, 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 Mario sixty four, yeah. Mario sixty four. Um, I, 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 I resisted the temptation to put GoldenEye on because I would have gotten very competitive very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no um, odd job. Yeah, no odd job. No slaps. Um, <laughs> slaps only. Paintball mode. Yeah, on. There, there was just there big was head just mode. The, big, big head mode. Paintball, Donkey Kong mode. There's just something about. Um, the whole ritual, everything about it, you know, everyone talks about like vinyl and this kind of lovely warmth that you get and the, the experience of taking stuff out. And I think we've talked about it in the past. Like you buy a, yeah. you buy a game now, even when you go to a store and buy a game, you get home and there's no fucking disc in it. There's just yeah. a download code uh... <laughs> and you take the case. I was like, that's bought an empty case. This is horrible. <laughs> um, even to the point, I think um, I saw a box for Spider-Man homecoming in the supermarket. Uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home. Yeah, and it it was like a a weird, like small lozenge, like a rectangle. Yeah, and it was yeah, a beautiful yeah. box, and it was like really thick, and it was it had like um, yeah, 
a brick effect because it was like a graffitied wall and it all had all the kind of like art drawn over it and stuff. And it was just an empty box. You know, it might have had like maybe like a little art book in there or something. But you basically bought that and you took that home and then downloaded the film. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. like, the, you know, there must be this kind of um, desire for people to, to, to return back to things, well, that, things being stuff. That's, that's the thing. Is it, is it, it, it's this weird thing where it's so easy to, you know, if you, you buy or download stuff hmm. online, like it, there's no physical thing. And there is a massive return to that, that want to have that, that physical entity. And if you, if you buy something online, it never feels like you've actually bought it. It's just, Oh, I'm just, I'm watching a thing online and people like having that, oh, yeah, that's good that, that thing. It, it's, it's almost uh, in a weird way. It's like a trophy, like the <laughs> amount of, amount of um, like 20 something uh, men that I knew when I was younger, where like their pride and joy was 50 fucking Billy bookcases from Ikea, all full of DVDs. So they could show off. Look at all these DVDs I have, Al. And uh, <laughs> whereas now, like, ah, oh, look at my Netflix watched library. Like, it, it's not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, at these, look at these films I've watched. <laughs> it's weird. Like uh, a few, a few friends and I have a Google Play like family account, mm. and so we've kind of rebuilt all of us had the same kind of moment in our adulthood of realizing that the 15 bookcases worth of DVDs needed to kind of go away because they just take up space. And so everyone started repurchasing, you know, the old movies and everything like that in this Google play account, but it just doesn't quite have the same emotion attached to it where, you know, I used to alphabetize all of my, uh, DVDs because then I knew exactly what I was looking for if I was going to the rack and I also knew if I let somebody borrow them I knew which one was missing but now I have this Google Play account and like even scrolling through it it just doesn't even feel the same I'm like scrolling yeah. down the page just going I don't know I guess I could watch that again yeah but I think like the the what Al said um, earlier on is, is the kind said. of crux of it is um, it's the ritual and that's it, whether that's about like um, you know getting a DVD out and putting it in the thing, or whether it's a vinyl or whatever, and and that also comes into like the the maker world so, side of things. Like if I'm going into uh, going into the workshop to to do a production run, I'm going in there, put the gas forge on. I'm thinking about this. I'm doing that. I'm just cracking on and getting shit done. Whereas if I'm going you know what, I'm going to go down to my workshop. I'm going to make some things. I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to have a good time. I go down and, you know, rather than just hitting a button and lighting the gas forge, I build a little fire. I I take my time over getting that coal forge just perfect. Um, You know, I tend that fire really nicely. And I mean, even if I'm doing production work on uh, the coal forges um, at work, like, it's still just kind of a case of just get a fire going, get some coal on top, get on with it sort of thing. Whereas, mm-hmm. um, and I think there's, there's a lot of uh, people that do that. Like um, the amount of people or the amount of woodworkers I know that really actually quite enjoy the process of getting all their tools really nice and sharp beforehand or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, spending that time getting the the workshop all nice and tidy and making sure every tool is back in the right place and, and all of that. And I think, 
rituals like that are something, and again, like the whole wassailing thing, like it's it's not a ritual for the um, like the the end effect. Like I I don't go and join in on the wassail because I think it's actually going to affect the apple harvest. Mm-hmm. I I go in and join Even- in the wassail because. <laughs> It's it's a fucking it, it's good it's enjoyable it's fun it's 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 a really um, uh, nice like village tradition and village ritual um, and people have their own individual rituals as well like whether that's you know um, like when I when I used to uh, work in IT I used to love uh, if I was working from home I loved it because I'd spend about half an hour and I'd completely clear whatever area I was working in. I'd get my laptop set up. I'd get my spare monitor set up. I'd get my uh, mouse and keyboard up. I'd even go and get a couple of fucking pot plants and put them around where I was. And, you know, I'd make a really nice coffee and I'd sit there and be like, right, I'm going to be here for 12 hours, but this is going to be really fucking mm-hmm. nice. <laughs> and, yeah, it, it's that ritual of, of, of kind of preparing yourself for for that thing. And I think it... it it's something that happens in kind of every aspect of our lives. Yeah. Maybe it's, I I don't mean this to sound like too much of a stretch, but in a similar way um, with the DVDs and even what you're talking about with the workspaces now, Steve, it's uh, I was having a chat with um, one of Ben's friends who was here a couple of days ago. And uh, we were talking about ready player one just happened to be part of the conversation. And there's a scene that's not in the movie that is in the book and it's a beautiful, beautiful, super meaningful and important scene that I cannot believe that they didn't put in the movie, but they did a lot of things wrong in the movie. So, uh, he goes into the pizza shop in like the simulation or whatever and finds a quarter on an arcade machine and puts the quarter in the arcade machine to play it. And the flashback in this conversation that I was having was, that same kind of ritual where you had a pocket full of quarters and when it was just like you time, you were going to the arcade to, to spend a couple of hours of your, your chore change or, you know, a little bit of allowance that your parents give you to fuck off for a few hours and leave them alone. I think the, the visceral ritual of pulling a DVD off a shelf or putting a quarter in a, an arcade machine, because you're like, now I am playing versus, you know, N64 still felt like that because you had to put a cartridge in it. But a lot of the newer stuff, uh, like I was trying to play my nephew's Nintendo Switch when I was back in Kansas. I had no idea how to do anything because it was just like, where does the, which controller plugs into what? And it was like, no, it's all wireless. And you just turn it on and then you touch the screen. And I'm like, oh my God, this is all, it's all very new. I'd never played with a Switch before. But I think just because of, and it could be nostalgia glasses, you know, but I, I miss those ritualistic aspects of of the things I grew up with, you know, owning the DVD, putting the quarter into the machine to play something, or even just handing a controller over to your friend and, like, you have to plug it into the system and going, now, yeah. now player two's in the game. That's so <laughs> cool. And, and uh, see, because now I just want to talk about... Uh, Video playing. games, yeah, okay. No, I was gonna say playing um, like no, a multiplayer, a multiplayer game where you you're playing it all on the same fucking screen because it's doing split screen, and you know even to the point where you know you're playing, you're doing uh, the 
battle mode in Mario Kart, and you know you have to put a bit of cardboard in the middle of the screen because you're oh, worried yeah. that your friend's going to be cheating when looking where you are. <laughs> yeah, and for sure. That. That fucking, I loved that yep. so much. Team top or team left, team right. That's the way yeah. that you did it. You just you had to pick half the screen and put a piece of cardboard across it. Yeah, <laughs> or like we did where we put a bed sheet that you could totally still see through, and we cheated the <laughs> hell out of that system. <laughs> but yeah, the I, I mean. I, I'm not really sure how it feeds into, like, say, everybody's woodworking project or CNC type stuff. But I, because I spent my entire week building a bunch of animations, it's it's not really going to be much of a surprise. But I worked on some more Maker Adventure stuff this week. And it's every single time I do the animations, it, it feels like a bit of a drag just because it takes a really long time to produce something that is effectively super short on on screen but i always have these really prideful moments of when it looks the way that i want it to look at the end when i'm like yeah that's what those old video games look like <laughs> that's so nice and i did that on a laptop sitting you know just yeah. in a chair did the whole thing with a digital tool now to create something that reminds me of 30 years ago that always kind of spins my brain around because I need to achieve a look of something 30 years ago with a laptop, yeah. which guys uh, couldn't, they, they would have dreamed about having yeah. a system like this. I, I was trying to, I was trying to do the exact same thing in the, in the, the, the last little short video I put up where I wanted to get like a seventies kind of music video effect. Yeah. And it's like I'm trying. I'm trying to get my modern, up-to-date computer to look like it makes it look like something from because the film's oversaturated and yeah. it's degraded, and it's you know. So like I, I filmed this in wonderful, perfect color yeah. uh, 4K. I, I, How can I make it look like a VHS? I'm like, going to play it back through my one of my headphones, so it's mono, <laughs> and then record it back into the computer. It's just like <laughs> the the desire for sort of nostalgia is so deep. But it's weird because I was thinking about this with the whole, you know, everything Stranger Things in eighties and kind of getting you back to this kind of lovely warm neons and you know, even things like Drive a few years ago, everyone just yeah. like, loved that film because it oh, yeah. took you to a place that was, you know, setting the scene and, and taking you somewhere. But people that weren't even from that generation enjoy it. There's this weird kind of post retro feel that people get where they, they never even experienced it but it's still retro to them and they like it and yeah. it's just as heartwarming you know that side generation pe- the people born in the 90s and the the, the the noughties loving a show based in the 80s like i don't think i would have been that attached to something set in the 60s but then you know we, yeah. we watch kind of stand by me and it's 50s and, oh, 60s and, and for some reason it's it's taking you back to a place that you weren't even there yeah, and it feels well. Do you right. think? Do you think in a strange way? Strange. Um, do you think it? It's because the people that are our age, or maybe mm. slightly older, that grew up during those times, are the ones producing the content. So they want to produce things for their generation, and then because it's so well produced, something like <laughs> Stranger Things, that of course it's going to get kids involved because. When we were young, we had the child adventure movies like yeah. Goonies and yeah. the Explorers and all of these fun things. All of the the like kid group movies that I remember uh, coming out in the mid to late 90s and then early 2000s, 
never really felt like they had that same vibe. You know, these like adventuresome kids because it became, you had to become a little bit more aware of the culture of things where like the Goonies, like that's a horrible, horrible thing for kids to have done. Right. Like they all almost died a bunch of times. Where were their parents in this whole situation? There's probably some PC culture that would come down on producing a movie like that nowadays, but you get something like stranger things where the kids are all about to die in every episode. And we, our generation is the one producing that show for our audience, our fellow peers. But then obviously it's got enough gimmick to it that the kids realized that it was cool to wear these like bright colors and there was neon everywhere. And, you know, things like Blade Runner coming out where it is post-apocalyptic or like Neo, Neo Japan, Neo America, but (laughs) shares a lot of that vibe because it was created 20, 30 years ago. This eclectic mix that's happening is is nuts. I think that for me, why I thought Ready Player One was a a bit of a weird gamble because, you know, it's a book Mm. that isn't even 10 years old, you know, but that could have been written in the 90s or even the late 80s. So... The book essentially is for like forty-year-olds. Oh yeah, because all the early, thir- all the early eight. You know, I don't. Remember, I wasn't alive when ET came out. <laughs> yeah, and all and all the kind of things that are referenced in the book are for forty-year-olds, fifty-year-olds. You know, that they're, they're they're the people who were in their teenage years in the eighties, playing yes. video games and 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 going to the movies. So then, for suddenly, like six years later, it to be a blockbuster yeah. Steven Spielberg film. Where they're kind of mixing genres and, and also putting Halo references in and yeah you know it's, yeah I mean I mean they took that movie and just they they made it now like they made it all the like nerd nostalgia and and fan service for the now yeah but I think a lot of while that while be- he's driving around in DeLorean yeah but that, that was the thing is the re- like they did that because they were including uh, all the stuff that, that it wasn't just about that that. 80s retro period like yeah. that was the the kind of the main characters thing but then yeah you're always going to get people that are interested in different things and and in that distant well not so distant future you know that th- those halo references were still retro um and i think like for for us kind of because obviously i same sort of age as you al and yeah i wasn't alive when et came out but i was <laughs> it's because he I was the one that said it um but yeah, you know, I, I might not have been alive when it was uh, released, but we were still in, a, in an age where films that were five, six, seven, eight years old were getting repeated on TV all the time. Whereas now, you you know, after a film's over a year old, unless it's Frozen, it's it's not really watched very often. Like because we're there's such a, a huge amount now that it's just constantly being churned out, and you've got things like Netflix where there's a new show all the time and. There's always something new to watch, so you're not going back and watching. Um, like, film, yeah, you're not going back and watching films that are 10, 15 years old because you don't need to. There's there's something else to fill the gap, sort of thing. But so all these all um, these things that like we we think of as iconic, it's just that there was less of them, and they were they they, they weren't as you know as easy to come by. They weren't as disposable. So yeah. one person had one copy of. Uh, Donkey Kong Country 3, that's all you played. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever that was invested in the wrong Donkey Kong Country. Ah, <laughs> oh, Donkey Kong Country 3 was great. Oh, fuck you. The first one was great. Indiana Jones. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. It's the <laughs> the minecart madness. <laughs> you could skip the whole level if you knew where the jump was at the very beginning. It's it easy. Fun in that. But, uh, <laughs> but then I think, like, um, nostalgia is a weird thing anyway because people get nostalgic about time periods that they yeah. that they weren't involved in. Like, you look at, like, the amount of Renaissance fairs and, and things like that. Like, and, and people look at it, look back at it with such a, a weird, um, like completely rose tinted glasses because they're like, Oh, it was all so perfect back then, back when this was that. And this was that. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. And you know, you died at the age of 30 due to childbirth or dysentery. Like it's, <laughs> it's not as romantic as you think it is. And like, um, obviously you, you get it with basically um, you get it with um, a lot of the craft stuff as well. Like yeah, the amount of people that, um, that when you say, Oh yeah, I, I do blacksmithing and they just, they assume that you're going to be there in like period costume and using this and doing that. And oh, I never use any kind of electricity. I, I have a young boy that does the bellows for me. Like, no, that's just completely unrealistic. And if you actually had to live like that every day, you'd think it sucked and you would want to have a power hammer and an electric blower and all of that. Like I get it, it really annoys me <laughs> on uh like on forums and shit where you see Yeah, it sounds like, like you've got a little bit of a chip on the shoulder. I want Steve to go and work at that um that that town in South Park where they go to the like the fake like the, the old, the old <laughs> no, <really. he's>, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they won't but, break character. Yeah, but, but the thing is, because I've seen I've seen it with uh, with woodworkers and stuff as well. Like, oh, that's not real woodworking because you're using a power tool. Fuck off! Just ah, oh. it's it's ridiculous the way that well, people assume that because you're using modern tools and modern techniques that you're not doing something properly because they just see it as being proper. But if you if you were to grab a a, a woodworker or a blacksmith or a leather worker or any tradesman from 200 years ago bring them to today and go here's a range of tools that make your life so much easier they're not going to go oh no not for me thank you i i, I like to do this properly they're going to go yeah great unless they're doing it to relax in their spare time but back then you didn't have spare time to relax in it, you just because you went all the time yeah <laughs> you had to work until you were 30 and then die it was yeah uh, people are dumb uh, hey, it's it's. <laughs> God damn it! Sorry. There's there's such a fun crossover though between what we do as as making and crafts versus the kind of media that's influenced to or influenced us as well. Because obviously, between the three of us and between a lot of the the friends that we've met in this space, everyone has this you know these rose tinted glasses or these these uh, heartwarming feelings about our younger days or the retro days, eighties specifically. Um, how does that feed into what you're capable of doing in your workspace? Steve, it might be a little bit different for you just because ironwork doesn't necessarily cater to like making a back to the future reference. You're not going to forge a DeLorean, which would be awesome. Yeah. Um, but Al, you know, with the graphics and animation and even working for your clients in your day job, do you have people coming to you pretty often saying like, we would really like something to look like that 80s uh, water cup 
design, whatever you've seen, it's like really famous. It's just got that one little pink stripe across it. And it's like a turquoise background. Do you have every, every Instagram post ever? Yeah. So I, I kind of have to inject those things into my videos or into my builds because I'm inspired by something that I either see in a movie or I'm kind of surrounded by say like this week, this retro video game vibe. It's like, okay, that's what I'm going to make. But do you have that going on in your world where there seems to be people actually looking for products or for your design work to cater to a more retro look? I think that's the difference between trend and branding. So the the very nature of, of my job is that people come because they want something new and different. You know, that's the, the very definition of a brand is that it stands out and that it is differentiated from the competition. Um, so in terms of aesthetic, it's very rare for, for, for in my job to somebody to come and go, I want something that looks like something old fashioned that reminds me of things. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think in the, in the world of advertising and marketing, that absolutely is what people do. Um, yeah. You look at any supermarket commercial, any Christmas ad, Anything that's trying to pull on your heartstrings and 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 get you to spend money, um, thinking about the past, you know. Remember how prices used to be? It's like, yeah, yeah, fucking extortionate, you know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, things are so much cheaper now. Everything is cheaper now, you know. From electronics to food production, you know, save a few supermarket things like butter everything's fucking cheaper now so being nostalgic about things when life was like as you say steve terrible racist and fucking expensive it's like i don't, <laughs> I don't want to take my brand back to those times um if you think it's if you think it's you know making america great again it's it's not you know the, the, the only way we can go is move forward and that's that's how i speak to most of my clients is if you want to affect change or you want to stand out or you want to have an important message you're gonna have to do something differently Mm-hmm. like our our mantra at work is um that of jerry garcia from the grateful dead and it's that you know it's no good being the best of the best you you can you you have to be the only one who does what you do so to be nostalgic when you're trying to stand out is, yeah. is not a really effective method to be nostalgic to make people feel happy and warm inside and you know remember things and and little trips down memory lane is a great is a great tool and and to your point brett like the aesthetic of animation particularly you know we're, we're the generation of we're the cartoon generation that's what we were brought up on um so i love old animation styles i love things that look like they're done in a traditional way you know yeah. I, <clears throat> when when sort of i was going through my teenage years and they were kind of um rebooting all the cartoons from when i was a kid mm-hmm. and they were doing it with really shit cheap cgi Oh, it just yeah. kind of broke my heart. It was, you know, long gone are the days of all the, the beautiful animation that we, we watched growing yeah. up. Um, and it, I don't think it was that I was being nostalgic. I think it was that it it was compromising. It was going from something that felt crafted and felt honest to something that was basically just doing it for economical purposes, you know, try to save money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then you could argue that you, you can buck the trend by being nostalgic. So, and I'm just just referencing uh, or going off of your point there, like I, cause I can remember same sort of thing. Like all cartoons are getting really like more and more um, uh, CGI, more and more kind of modern and all that. 
And then out of nowhere, you have something like Samurai Jack come along mm-hmm. that looks like it was the same animation style as you were getting like 20, 30 years ago, but just done to a higher standard. So do you not think that there's um, there's room to kind of uh, to make yourself um, stand out from the competition by, again, doing something different, but you know, maybe doing something that's it's different, but it's it's a much older way of doing it. I think I think there's a difference there. I think there's a difference between nostalgia and respecting tradition. Yeah. So for me, to, to Brett's point earlier, you know, make it turquoise, put a pink stripe across it, blur it a bit. Instantly, mm. it looks like the eighties, and it's retro. Yeah. And it's a, a quick sort of way of kind of triggering those neurons where you go, oh, yeah. I remember that. You know, remember. Lando, we're not good at that. <laughs> um, whereas if you've got the effort of, of appreciating how it was done, you know, using that to your advantage, and like you say, Steve, using that as a way to stand out, yeah, hand drawing some gifts, you know, <laughs> then, then it becomes something valuable and something that I think is worth appreciating, as opposed to just worth something sparking yeah. a memory. Yeah. <laughs> To to add on to that, the thing that has become very apparent to me in the last few months, especially watching some of the YouTube channels that I watch, um, I follow a bunch of visual effects channels and animation channels, and obviously I uh, watch the Dark Crystal, <laughs> the new series of the Dark Crystal when it came out, because I was interested in not only the new story that they were trying to tell, but also how did they how did they pair practical effects and puppetry with the new technology that we have nowadays. And so many of the challenges that they had of like, now that we have higher def, we can't hide the seams on the puppets like we used to, because it was, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can see every, we have to make them better because you can yeah, see. <laughs> so they had to do better. And they also, because of the new materials and the new technologies that have come out since then, they didn't change what they were trying to do in terms of like, this is still going to be puppets, but instead of making them out of like cotton and things that will deteriorate over time, or maybe didn't have as much flex or stretch, or they had to be very mindful of what new advances would, uh, would shift about their capabilities within the show itself. You know, if that little puppet that I made is so simply done Mm -hmm. and there's no sewing in it, and, you know, I watched the way that they created these things with like latex and silicone molds and realizing that you can get flex and stretch out of these um, materials. And that's how you can get subtle movements in the face because it'll it'll stretch just so. And the same thing goes with visual effects where I'm quite capable of recreating things that took months of work on a computer 30 years ago. I can do that on my laptop now and put like, you know, Galaga. I could do an animation of Galaga probably within a day from a laptop just to make it look like it. It wouldn't be a, an actual moving game or usable game. But to create that is super easy because of the technology that we have. But how do you, if your approach is to recreate that feeling or that visual, how do you know when you've taken it either too far or you're going so far out of scope that you lose the nostalgia aspect of it, right? It's the same thing that people were trying to talk about uh, with the new Star Wars when they re-digitized the Star Wars and put like Jabba the Hutt in it as a 
CG character, and they're like, yeah. no, please don't do that. You're I know you have the party. capabilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And George Lucas was like, well, this is how it would have looked if I had the technology. And everyone was like, well, thank God you didn't. <laughs> yeah, it would have looked like uh, Mimic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so from, from, from your guys' perspective, you know, if if you are, and even if it's a hypothetical project, because I'm throwing the question at you now, if you are working on a project or you're you're trying to capture some nostalgia, whether it is 30 years ago or if you're going very, very old school, Steve, at a Renaissance festival, how do you stay within those guidelines and with the challenge of knowing that you have the capabilities of going further? I think for for me, it's absolutely about appreciating what it meant at the time. So gaming is a really sort of helpful analogy, but like thinking about like asteroids or some of the old um, arcade machines, you know, even the ones that had like the um, the displays that were like um, not raster displays, but the other kind like a vector display almost. Oh, yeah. Uh, like an oscilloscope. Yeah. Oh, right, right, yeah, yeah. And, and, and using the kind of technology and appreciating that they had, they, they were groundbreaking at the time. They were doing things that, you know, there was no such thing as a video game five years before that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I think that's why particularly the, 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 the late 70s and the 80s for a lot of people is so nostalgic because so many things changed. Yeah. You know, Post Second World War, there was a lot of kind of uh, in the states, you know, a lot of people inventing things, lots of kind of positive approaches to, to to change and cultural change, and a lot of civil rights movements and stuff. And it was like in over the space of thirty years, so much fucking changed. It's yeah. unbelievable. The eighties just saw everything, you know, technology, formats, um, you know, movies, special effects, everything that we saw as entity, you know, music. Suddenly, it was fucking punk rock and all the things that led to indie and the music that we all listen to. Um, it was ska, you know. It's like, yeah, that is the things that I still like now, and has yeah. influenced all the things that I like now. Um, yeah, know, I mean, years, pretty much years earlier, would it have been the same? Pretty much everything I listened to uh, was recorded in 1994. So, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that explains so much about you, Steve. But I, I, I think it's it's an interesting um, thing because, like you say, being able to pay respect to tradition without being um, without being kind of paralyzed by it or without being able to move forward is I, really I only thing. I only watch films yeah like you don't want yeah. to be, you don't want it to become any uh, uh, like a a religious thing of yours that you, yeah you, you only so, wear clothes from the the retro hipster store yeah so like um so for example like uh, obviously taking it back to to blacksmithing because that's all I can ever talk about um but you've got uh people nowadays that um that Kids want a <laughs> that, that, but they want like uh, a traditional um, uh, cowbell. knife or something. <laughs> That's cowbell. Um, so you can say, "All right, well, I can do uh, I can do a laminated blade. I can do this kind of wood handle. I can do blah 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 blah." Yeah. Um, but you know, you, you don't need to do uh, a, a laminate. You could use a mono steel blade, which is actually probably going to be in terms mono. of usefulness. 
a mono steel blade's probably going to be better. Um, it's going to be more reliable and so on and so forth. But if you're doing a, a traditional style, then yeah, you know, I'll do it like that because that's how they would have done. I know the reasons why they would have done it, but we don't really need to do it now. And, and yada, yada, yada. Um, but then like, okay, well, I'll, I'll put a, uh, a, I can't think of a type of wood. Uh, I'll put a wood handle on it. Um, <laughs> but you're going to use stabilized wood because it's essentially the same thing, just much, much better. And it's not going to crumble and fall apart in five years. Like it's, it's going to be longer lasting. It's going to, it's going to look nicer. It's going to feel better. It's, it's going to be more stable. Hence the term stabilizing. Like, you know, you, you, you use the, uh, the modern technologies that we have. So like if you're doing um, a forge weld, then yeah, if, if I was doing forge weld for a customer, I'm, I'm going to use flux. I'm going to use borax. Um, back in the day, they, they would have either done it fluxless Again, they would have probably been using raw, but they would have done fluxless, or they would have done um, like sand or a, a number of other things. And whilst yes, it's great to uh, to be able to do that, and like I love uh, being able to do a fluxless world and stuff like that. But if I'm doing one for a customer where I need it to be like I need to guarantee that actually this is going to work, it's going to work well, it's going to uh, have a nice outcome, then I'm going to use last. all. Yeah, I'm going to use all the technology that I can yeah. to reproduce that that old thing. Like, like it, it, I mean, it would be like Brett trying to do that, uh, like an eight bit cartoon on a computer from thirty years ago. Like, no, you're going to use your modern computer and do it now, but to give the effect of that old thing. And mm-hmm. and I think that's what a lot of people, um, well, that's where a lot of kind of uh, contention. Um, is especially in the maker community is that thing of like oh yeah well you've made it look like that but you didn't do it properly because yeah and it's it's about being pragmatic and about being realistic and about yeah if if you want to do a purely um uh pure i can't think of the fucking word traditional Um, yeah like like uh you know you want to do a, a a reenactment almost of of the way that they would have done it and you want to do it as closely um resembling what they did as possible then then yeah you know you wouldn't use a power hammer you wouldn't do this you wouldn't do that and yeah if you want to do it in that in that way then great as a one-off piece but if you're just replicating that look then you're not going to do it it's the same as you know you're going to do um say if you're making a cabinet you, you want to use uh dovetail joints and things like that like you want to use traditional joinery great but you're probably still going to stick some nice modern glue in there because that's going to help it hold it all together like you know unless you're going to go down to the local equestrian center (laughs) (laughs) unless you're going to go down there and boil up your own horse like you're probably still going to use a bit of tight bond in it one horse please (laughs) Because you, you're still going to want to have that that thing there, and yeah, I think it's it's about the intention um, and how far you you want to go with it, and and as long as you're not lying, as long as you're not like saying, oh yeah, this is all done completely as they would have done it yeah. 400 years ago. If you're saying like this is a a you know, a contemporary um, rendition of a traditional style of whatever. 
then that's fine. But I, I think I, I, I think the important thing for me to not forget is that the the aesthetic and the the, the form of things was dictated a lot by the restrictions. Yeah. So the exactly. reason the reason retro games look like that is because they were they were they were at the cutting edge of making the most of the tech. Yeah. So you know the the dithering that you get on little sprites is because they only had so many colors to work with, and, the, and yeah. you know the consoles that you were playing it on could only cope with so many colors at a time on the screen, and and there were it was really clever people finding ways to get more you know realism or more fun or more movement out of things. Yeah. So to just kind of blindly copy something in a in a sort of vain attempt at, at pulling on someone's heartstrings, I think is shallow. Yeah. yeah. But you, Brett, understand why things are done mm-hmm. and understand why you would draw that in a certain way and why that shadow would be there. And Steve, why that material is used that way, why a knife is shaped that way. You know, if people who designed knives and hammers hundreds and hundreds of years ago had all the technology they have today, knives would look very different. Yeah. Hand saws would look very different. All everything yeah. that we we associate with anything would be totally different if they had today's technology, but they didn't, and that's why we like things the way they were. Yeah, yeah. it's it's going to be really interesting in this video because um, I do talk a bit. Well, the whole video is you know how I create these characters and and how I do the animations, and um, yeah, my understanding and and obviously a lot of playing video games led to to this nostalgia for me nowadays to be able to go, Oh, well, how do I get that? Look, well, by producing a thing that looks like that, it's only taught me more about why, because even with the technology that I have now, I'm really, I'm realizing within after effects that if I render out 15 single frame images, it renders out in about two seconds. Like it's just instant because I've drawn those frames separately. So it's what's called a sprite sheet. Um, If you actually do a fluid animation where you have a start point and an end point Mm -hmm. and you have to draw everything in between there, or you have to animate something in between there, it takes a lot longer because it's animating everything that's happening between all of those frames. So it's only taught me more about what they did in the video game production and know, Oh, if you only have a hundred sprites, or a hundred single frame animations of that character, you now have restrictions and bounds boundaries that you have to work within as the, as the video game designer, like, Oh, I want him to do a backflip. Okay. Well I have an animation of him doing a front flip. (laughs) If I just reverse it, you're actually not changing it. You don't have to create any new stuff. You're just like scaling negative 100 on one axis. And then it becomes a backflip. Yeah, and that's exactly what I I knew that about old video games, but I being able to do that now in these animations is like, oh my god, that makes so much sense. Yeah. They were so brilliant to be able to say, oh, I can just reuse that arm. I don't have to redraw an arm. I already made that arm. It's over there in sprite number three. Well, now it's in sprite twelve too. Yeah, I think that that it's that dropping moment, that getting it for me is where it's like, that's the point. Like you know, I I I. I like to put references in the videos that I make of things that I liked as a childhood um, and things that hopefully other people like. But I like more to do things like try and work out how Sam Raimi does a crash zoom. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. Expensive yeah, yeah. things. And not everyone would get that as much as a blatant like parody of something. Yeah. But I'm doing it in there because I, I 
I want to know why it would be done that way. Why, you know, Peter Jackson does that kind of zoom thing where the camera moves towards as you zoom away and you get that yeah. really horrific kind of terrifying he's scared moment. Yeah. Yeah. The Alfred it, Hitchcock. Yeah. And you, you yeah. know that there's something scary happening. And you know it's some sort of technique and you 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 work it out and you you go, Oh, that when I do that, it looks like this. And you start to appreciate stuff a lot more. And I, I think that's part of the, the bit in me that wants to know how things work and why things work. And Brett, to your point, saving on sprites, reusing yeah. stuff, techniques, you know, and where where the balance I think balance is important. Otherwise it is just an over an over nostalgia fest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it what I what I quite like about all this is the fact that we kind of keep circling around the fact that a lot of uh a lot of it is due to restrictions and whether that's restrictions on the available technology the available materials the, the whatever or even self-imposed restrictions like actually no i want to make sure that this is done in you know yeah you know, i, I want to make sure this exports really quickly i want to do this <laughs> or whatever like you know if you put those uh restrictions on yourself that kind of that's that's where creativity comes from yeah um if you know, if, you, if you're given infinite resources, uh, infinite time, and infinite everything you could want, then most people are just going to go, ah, fuck, uh, I don't know. Like yeah, the lo- lowest like, common denominator. There's no, there's no yeah. drive then to, to be creative or do yeah. innovative things. Yeah, I mean, like the most, the the, be- the best part about uh, at the weekend where we made the um, the noisy things is it was like <laughs> right then, call yeah. Them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's the scrap pile. Uh, I've can, got we, this... can we use this joke? No. Yeah. <laughs> I've got this this one bar of 16 mil that I've brought with us and a massive bar of rot that we realized we can't actually use because the forge doesn't get hot enough and I'm not lighting the coal forge. So it's like, right, uh, right. Well, then we've got some scrap here and we could do that. And we, oh, we could put this on there. And if we were that on there, I think, yeah, that would that would work. Oh no, wait, that wouldn't work because of this. Fuck. Um, <laughs> and like having to go through those design phases. Whereas if it was just we can do whatever. Like, oh uh, well, let's let's the fun in that. Like that's it's kind of boring. It was the most it was the most unwelding I've seen in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly unweld that thing again. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and, and well, I think. That's that's one of the, the beautiful things about that um, nostalgia is it's kind of going back to that um, that that uh, restriction, but without the restrictions being there. Um, so it's it's kind of emulating that. Um, uh, I don't want to say hardship because that sounds really fucking dramatic, but like that, yeah, it, it, it's emulating that difficulty without, but without having that difficulty. That's what I quite mm-hmm. like about it. So we just so happened to be having a very similar conversation last night, Ben and I, and uh, his advice. And so I'm just regurgitating his words, but I liked the way he put it, which was, it's not about necessarily like raising the ceiling alone and just being like, Oh, now we've got all that space above us because we, there's more room. There's less boundaries or whatever. It's also about raising the floor. So it's your starting point has to kind of go up as your ceiling goes up. And it's not just about broadening all of your boundaries and saying like, I have zero restrictions now. It's about maintaining restrictions because you keep the room the same size. You just build a little bit higher the next time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, if you've got all the tools, all the skills, all the, 
equipment, then you don't just make a fire poker, you make a sculpture or whatever. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I said that. I'll lean forward to read something and you just lean back. I was like, uh, yeah. what? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's it. And that's that's true. And I think, like I say, like that's kind of what I mean about self-imposed restrictions. Like there's no point in, like, if I was to go into the workshop tomorrow and I was to say, do whatever you want, then, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go, okay, well, I'm going to make some pokey sticks. I'm, I'm going to want to make something that I've not made before or something that I've, I've not perfected yet. Like that's like, in fact, uh, Beryl, um, that I rent the forge from, she's asked me to make a, um, uh, weed cutting tool for, uh, one of her friends based on the tool that her friend had that now no longer works because she's sharpened it so many times. There's about that much left of it. Chainsaw um, mistake. Yeah, basically. Um, but without a motor. And uh, and so I was like, right, okay, well, I can do this. And it was like, right, well, I could literally just get a bit of flat bar, cut the shape out, put an edge on it, and then weld a stick onto that. Like, that that would work. Mm-hmm. That That is essentially what she's asking. I was like, no, that's I can't do that. That's too simple. That's I don't want to say beneath me as in, like, oh, that's beneath <laughs> me. It's, but, like, I know that I can do better, and I know that I should be striving to do better. So I, you know, I'm doing a socketed um, uh, thing to go into a wooden handle, and I'm forging out the shape, and I'm making sure it's got this nice curve in it, and I'm making sure that, as well as being uh, functional, it's aesthetically pleasing as well. And I think that's kind of like what you're saying. Like you, when that ceiling goes up, you bring that floor up, and you go, well, I need to move with it. I can't just have, let's say, infinite resources and just make shit. <laughs> but my words right now that, that was as far as I got <laughs> Jesus <laughs> I feel like we should move on to spiffing Azib Azib uh, oh, that means you're first don't do Azib very often so, this is a bit where cool. you talk. Yeah, okay. Here we go. Right. Yeah, but you didn't do so cool, so I was waiting. Or cool, right. so. Cool, no, so or so cool? What are you feeling? It makes it up. Do you want to just fuck things? That's, that's old Steve. That's old Steve. Oh, that's that, retro, that retro, Steve. retro Steve. He's cool, sophisticated Steve. You're going to spiff someone or what? Are we just going to take the piss out of me all night? Oh, as is tradition. <laughs> So, cool. Um, yeah, uh, for my spiffing this year, I will be mostly spiffing. Um, I kind of want to re-spiff Big Car again like I did last week because it's great. Mm, it's so of, good. It's full of retro cars. Yeah. Um, but I'm not. I really I'm just... want a Volvo 240 now. Oh. I was watching the electric cars of the 70s Yeah. Uh, last night. It's a fucking beaut on there, man. Right. Welcome to Car Talk, folks. This is well, what we we'll do at the end of like, our episode. Talk about lead, cars. Lead acid, lead acid powered, fifteen mile range electric cars <laughs> of the nineteen seventies. Um, no, not going to do that because Brett gets mad. Um, I'm going to talk about <laughs> uh, CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. Ooh, um, the highlight of the Vegas calendar every year, um, where the brightest and best brains. Bring some fantastic 
or creepy or completely unnecessary technology um, and share it with the world from even more folding phones. I don't know why they didn't learn anything from last year, but they're there. Um, to creepy little uh, balls that follow you around the house and take photographs of you. Um, and meat was there for some reason at the Consumer Electronics Show. Yes, uh, There was a was. lot of uh, replacement meat products. Why not? Go and talk about it. Um, but yeah, it was just great to see robots really kind of taking over um, and there was, I think, I think Panasonic had a robot there, and Samsung had a robot there. They were both cooking. Um, one of them, one of them was kind of a, a floaty robot that just kind of like hung around above the table and <laughs> and and just acted like your normal kind of regular robot. But my favorite one was one that came out from underneath the kitchen counters. So you just look at like regular cupboards, and then these arms come down and open out and start cooking. But then it would start like opening the cupboards above itself and like getting things out of the cupboards. Oh yes. Oh, as, if, as if they were inside itself, as, as if it was opening up its head and taking stuff out. And then like weirdly disjointing its wrists, turning stuff upside down, pouring it into a pan, and putting it back in the cupboard. And then oh, like chopping God. up chopping up tofu and like stir frying stuff. Oh. It was fucking brilliant. Um and it was just really like almost kind of retro back to the kind of fifties automated homes. Which yeah. you know, like really Jetsons kind of style of like <clears throat> what people's ideas of the future would be, and it's like we're almost there. We're almost <laughs> at the point where you've got like arms in the kitchen doing shit for you, um, and it just really brought a smile to my face. It, you know, it was not about how many fucking pixels can you get on a television and um, Proof. how how things, how things your mobile phone. It was how much fun can we have with technology? Nice. So even if you just like try and catch a, a best of CES, or you know this year's stupidest, craziest inventions at CES. Um, they are spiffing. Yes. That is a, a very good shout. I went um, to the event so many times when I lived in Las Vegas. <laughs> oh, sorry, Brett. No, uh, it's fine. I just got a little jaded. <laughs> I, I wish so much that uh, everyone listening could have seen Al's mimes of the uh, cupboard robot thing. There's <laughs> uh, a thumbnail. There's a thumbnail brewing. <laughs> Uh, in his own face, pulling out spices. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, I was originally going to spiff someone else uh, today. In fact, I was going to um, spiff scale berms and stale memes, uh, which, if you're into blacksmithing, it's fucking hilarious. Uh, but because of everything we were talking about and because of the whole, um, uh, like, me talking about laminates earlier on, uh, and also a little bit retro, Blacksmith Andy from Feather Forge, uh, he just put up a post whilst we were recording um, about the fact that he, years and years ago, watched the uh, Ray Mears um, episode where he went to Sweden. And, uh, is that retro re- now? Are we that old that Ray Mears is retro? I think so, yeah, because it's like, I mean, this is from... Early the year 2000? Like, the year, year 2000 was 20 years ago. No, it's no, it scary. The 1980s was 20 years ago. Uh, right? That's, yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, this uh, this old episode of Ray Mears goes to Sweden and forges out a, um, uh, a laminate knife. And, um, and Andy put up this really nice post about how he um, really wanted to do it and then 
got a chance, like had a spare hour the other day and um, and did it himself and how oh, cool nice. that was. And Andy's one of those people that I really, really, really genuinely like. Like he, whenever I see a poster from him, it always makes you smile, mostly because it's usually got his face in it with a massive grin on it. Um, and he's just, a, he's a top bloke. He's a really talented Smith. Um, like, I, I don't think he bigs himself up enough at all. Um, he could be far cockier than he is. Um, and yeah, he's just, he's, he's a fucking nice bloke. And he's one of the first people uh, in the social media realm that I, um, I started following in kind of, became friends with and yeah he is spiffing so go check out andy well done good chap so it's my turn now yeah usually usually you tell me it's my turn Brett, um, it's your turn hey thank you okay so i'm going to go with a youtube channel that <laughs> was suggested to me based on my clear search algorithm results throughout the week but it took me down a rabbit hole um the channel is called retro repairs all one word and it's not a huge channel he's got like sixty thousand subscribers but uh the first video that got suggested to me was fixing ebay junk and that's what he tends to do is go online and find super cheap broken old stuff but he kind of specializes in video games and video game systems. So the Dreamcast, he's like refurbishing a Dreamcast that somehow either made it through a fire or had smoke damage, was like in a house where a fire happened. I don't know. But he's going like from scratch to see if he can get this Dreamcast system put back together. And I'm not one to go and tinker with electronics, though I did solder my camera lens back with a fork. Um, you know, I, I kind of understand how some of that stuff works, but for anybody that's into circuitry or electronics on a deeper scale than what most of us tend to kind of interact with, seems like a super nice guy, but talks through chips and capacitors and transformers and like what wiring means, what numbering means, how to kind of do the research on them shows schematics and it's not really crazy in-depth, um, like, educational tutorial stuff. He's more having fun with seeing if he can get the Game Boy working again or get this old Pokemon game to work and why the chip inside of it may not be working. Um, it was really interesting for me to watch, and I ended up keeping it on as background noise while I was working on stuff. But if there's anybody in our listenership that does like tinkering with old tech and specifically wiring electronics and knows more about chips and things like that than I do. Seems like a really fun channel. And I have to appreciate the fact that he's going on eBay, buying a game boy for a fiver and then getting it working again. Just (laughs) something speaks to me about that. Like, thank you for bringing, it's like restoring an old vice, right? But something a little bit more heartwarming about knowing that the video games that were played 30 years ago can come back around out of that system. So but I think I think that that in itself is part of the charm is that you actually can go in and resolve the stuff. Yeah. And swap, yeah. Out, and swap out components. You couldn't do that now. 
Well, he 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 does try a couple of nin- Nintendo Switches, which is pretty funny. <laughs> I bought hundred Nintendo Switches. I'll be yeah, like you. Could, it's <laughs> funny that episode is him opening up and just going, "Oh, I don't know what any of this does." Yeah. Like he's so frustrated because it's all so new, and they started taping components in yeah. and making it to where you can't futz with it anymore without yeah, they're all like, like casting like resin and shit. Yeah, and you'll screw up the system just by prying them up because you don't. They'll just replace an entire board if you send it back to them and charge you for it. Whereas yeah. if you just needed to fix the battery, you can't physically take it out without breaking something. Yeah. You see, you, so. I mean, you see that with every console. Like when people tear them down, like, you know, when they do like iterations throughout the life of a console, it just gets yeah. cheaper and cheaper and more like on a chip and, you know, less components. And like they're just saving one cent here, two cents there. Yeah. To the point where yeah. it's not almost like not worth it to your point. Just, just replace the whole mm-hmm. board. Yeah. I, I will say, I will say, in that same capacity, capacitor. Uh, ha- capacitor, I have watched enough of his videos now where he's torn up old uh, NES cartridges or Game Boy cartridges <laughs> to realize that there's only one kind of screw uh, that Nintendo made. It was a proprietary screw head. So if you can get that, which people sell them online and they're very cheap, you can take the screw out of the cartridge, which is like one screw in a Game Boy cartridge. And the amount of things that he fixed on his channel, which are just like a bit of cleaning and like maybe one little solder joint needed to be put back together and it works pristine. I'm like, oh my God, if I would have known that when I was little, I wouldn't have thrown away turtles in time. Like, what <laughs> Oh, brilliant. That's good. So it's, it's a super fun channel and he just seems like a, a guy with a really fun hobby. And yeah. Yeah. So nice. go check out Retro Repairs. One word. Cool. Uh, awesome. Good shout. Uh, any other business? I don't know what Al keeps typing in the chat, but uh, poo. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, he is. yeah that, that, he is. That's that's what I was going to do. That's why I asked if there was any other business. <laughs> but then, <laughs> but then we just talked about the chat, and now all the listeners are going, "What the fuck is going on there? Why?" Are After they so you, weird? Steve, just just fucking uh, do it. Just fucking do it. I've got a few bits of AOB, so I was going to see if you guys had anything first. Oh, my God. Jesus fucking Christ. Say yes or no. It's, why do we go through this every week? Uh, I'm assuming not then. No? No? Okay. Uh, right. So, oh, yeah, we I have one. Oh, I fucking hate you. So Classic. Uh, so, we had an email earlier this week uh, from... Tim Diamond from Tim's Furniture um, about a a good friend of the podcast uh, who I'm pretty sure everyone should be following uh, because we talk about him enough. um, And that is, of course, Mr. Andy Pugh. Uh, And Tim was suggesting that we give Andy a spiff. And I'm fairly sure we've spiffed Andy a couple of times already. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to Andy, say that he is wonderful. I agree with Tim. Um, he is almost a, what was it? Hang on. I just need to get the right wording. Um, in fact, I'm sure he's a benevolent bot account because it doesn't matter what post you're on or whatever. Like Andy is, as soon as you put up a post, bang, Andy's there. He's liked it. He's commented on it. He's already followed everyone that you've ever thought of following ever. Like Andy's just, He's always there. He's he's a good person. And Mr. Pugh, we all love you. Um, two other things. 
whilst I've got the AOB, um, I just want to quickly say that Red, as in the Redsmith, is ace. And uh, Jamie Reader is still a dickhead. Um, that's it. So uh, if you want to get hold of us, you can find us in all of the usual social media places. You can find me at... Uh, you can find me at Moonshot Metalworks. You can find Brett at Skull and Spade 13. And you can find Al at Al's Hack Shack. I, I definitely nearly forgot the order in which I say that then. Uh, and if you want to find us as a group, you can go to at FTPT Podcast on Instagram. You can go to FTPTPodcast.com to see the show notes that are there sometimes. And you can also go and join the fuck off. Uh, you can join the Facebook group. Push it to and... the limit. <laughs> <Fucking Yeah. laughs> Uh, join the Facebook group because why, why wouldn't you? Razor's um, and uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's that's about it. Um, anything else? No, Just to, you two want to keep singing? Okay. I love how fucking professional we are. Uh, yeah, right, we love you. Bye.